0: Another episode of Tales for the forlorn Dopes. I am your host, Cybersmiley.
1: I am your co host, uh, Wisdom Triple Zero. Greetings programs. We uh, we're very glad to be here today. We've got a, a very special guest, Mr. Ed Bulmy. Um, prolific writer for our talstorian and editor, as well as the creator of Raish Bartmos.
0: Yes. Um, so Ed, before we get into it, like I, I mentioned before, we have this little uh survey quiz type of thing, uh, which we're gonna absolutely hit me ask you a couple of quick questions, hopefully, quick answers. So, first question 2020, 2045, or 2077?
2: 2020,
0: uh, favorite cyberpunk role,
2: honestly. Honestly, uh, gosh, the, 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 the fixer.
0: Okay. Favorite piece of cyberware.
2: Gotta love the, the monofilament wires.
0: Agreed. Oh yeah. Favorite cyberpunk weapon.
2: Big pistols.
0: Okay. Yep. Favorite cyberpunk red or 2020 book. Ra's Bartmoss's Guide to the Net. <laughs> <laughs> Least favorite cyberpunk. No surprise
2: there, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, not not in this line is. As... Least favorite uh cyberpunk writer twenty twenty book.
2: One that I should have written on but
0: didn't. Oh, okay. Um
1: <laughs> we will I'm definitely getting more into that later.
0: Pan Am, Judy, or Rogue? Rogue. Uh Lucy, Rebecca, or Kiwi. Lucy, Kerry River or Goro?
2: Goro. Oh, River. What am I thinking?
0: <laughs> uh, David uh, Maine or Pillar. David. Favorite Night City uh, gang.
2: You know, honestly, I'd have to go with any of the Yo gangs. Okay. From Cybergen.
0: Yeah.
1: Yo, that that that's every bit as valid as anything else.
0: Correct. Favorite Mega Corporation. Militech. Favorite cyberpunk movie.
2: Oh grimy. For a long time it was the Matrix, but it may have been replaced. I'd have to really think about that one. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Johnny
0: Demonic was fun, but we'll hold off for for later from on that one.
1: <clears throat> okay, that one broke. You. Yeah, this one will too. <laughs> what's, your, what's, what's, your fav- what's your favorite cyberpunk fictional character? Need you ask? Probably French not. <laughs> well, there
2: you French
0: go. boss. once on. said that. He-
2: that writing race was deeply
1: therapeutic for me.
0: Oh, that's I, you know.
1: I just read that passage this morning.
0: <laughs> uh, Gibson, Dick, or uh, Stevenson? Dick. Favorite cyberpunk novel. Hard word. Is Shadowrun no. cyberpunk? No. Okay. All right, that's the questionnaires, man. I think this was one of our record uh, <laughs> time.
1: Yeah, sh- we went through that like we were supposed to. Like, yeah. it was quick and fast
2: <laughs> and in
0: a hurry. Often,
2: I mean, you're expecting, like, 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 favorite Halloween candy
0: or something. So. Well, some of the questions <laughs> turn into, you know, the uh, Monty Python skit. My favorite cyberpunk gang is Bozos. No, wait! <laughs> exactly. Well, um... Thank you for being on the show. Uh, we're just going to rattle off some of your credits. Mm. Um, so you are an editor for the 2013 box set. You are an editor for Boy, Near Orbit, Neotribes, uh, Eurotour. You're a writer for Night City, Home of the Brave, Rach Bartmose's Guide to the Net, Rach Bartmose's brain, Brainware Blowout, Firestorm <coughs> Stormfront, Alice Through the Mirror Shades, Cyber Generation Core, Virtual Front, Eco Front, Media Front, Bastille Day. You worked on Castle Falkenstein with uh, The Lost Notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci, Six Guns and Sorcery. You worked on Mekton's Starblade Battalion. Uh, Paranoia, you did uh, the Deleted for Security Reasons, Paranoia Recycled, the Alpha Update, Alpha Complexity, Bot Abuse's Abusers Manual, the R&D Catalog, Recycling Pack, the People's Glorious Revolutionary Adventure for Dungeons & Dragons. You wrote several novels, Bound by Iron, Eberron, um, the Inquisitor Book 1, uh, the Orb of Zorat. Is that how Zorot. it pronounced? Right? For Book 2. Orb of yeah. Got it. Uh, Traitors of the Sovereign Host, the Alabaster Staff, uh realms of the dragon the year of the rogue dragons you worked on i the... love
1: the alabama yeah. <laughs> thank
0: you you worked on legendary legend of the five rings the way of the unicorn uh, the four Winds saga the stone throne for as a novel steel throne steel throne sorry my my glasses are yes uh the world of necroscope which my wife loved that series um she didn't play the game but she she just loves uh, the necroscope, Wampire.
1: Uh, yeah, Brian Lumley created yep. a hell of a world, and uh,
0: yeah, I actually me and my that wife was, met him. Um, he was he was a blast. What did we you in... say, Ed?
2: That that whole series was really creepy. Yes.
1: Really well done. It, yeah. it was really creepy. You um, also uh, worked. It was out... a. It was a nice change from the the Anne Rice stuff that was coming out at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, you worked on Fleet, the Survivor's Guide for Shatter Zone, Alf Bakshi's Wizards, uh, a novelization. Alf oh,
2: Bakshi's Wizards.
0: Yep. Um, Montagar, a source book for Wizards' basic adventure game, uh, Aliens Recognition Guide, Volume 1 for the Men, or in, Black. Men in Black. Yeah. And you also did... And
1: four children's stories about Jesus.
0: Yep. I'm sure we missed some. (laughs) (laughs) You you might
2: have, but they were small, so...
0: (laughs) Yes. You you have
1: this giant portfolio of of credits. Uh, What was your favorite line to work on?
3: Oh,
2: that's... The two things that I was that I enjoyed the most and was able to do the swiftest were anything in paranoia and anything having to do with bar Moss.
1: Excellent. I mean I loved your paranoia books, man. They were I I, I was it wasn't until, like, 2005 that I even knew Alice Through the Mirror Shades existed, and I'd already owned all the other Paranoia books. I don't know how that one completely escaped me. Um, and I broke out into cold sweats when I found it, because I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's an official crossover, and it's written by Ed? Holy shit.
3: Yes, for... for so,
1: that was a funny thing
2: on that. Um... Uh, scott falter got the idea to do paranoid crossovers uh and the first people he went to were mike and Lisa mike and lisa Ponsmith to see about crossing with cyberpunk and i
1: mean it's such a perfect mix
2: it is and he broached the subject and mike Ponsmith was um he was all in favor but he said but we want to name the we want to name the writer and scott falter's like well that could be a problem because i know who i want <laughs> personally <laughs> it was the same person so oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome
0: cool yeah that's i mean yeah, so it was uh, very that was a lot of fun yeah Go ahead. um so how did you first start working with uh, altar sorry and mike and lisa
2: so i started writing back in college i was actually running a first edition Paranoia game with my college buddies and they kept badgering me to submit the stuff that I was doing because it was funnier than what had been published and they badgered me enough that I finally said fine if I write this up will you just get off my back they like yeah <laughs> and I'm like fine I'll do it and so I wrote it out I spent I think it was 15 months During college, doing the the first draft of Alpha Complexities and sent it in, and it got rejected. But it was a nine page rejection letter. Wow. Oh. Detailing everything I needed to fix. And so I spent the next, uh, like six months, six to nine months fixing all that stuff, resubmitting it, and that became Alpha Complexities
0: that's that's cool
2: and uh yeah so then it was getting released and it was going to get released at Gen Con and so I kind of a wild hair I drove from Houston to Milwaukee and uh ended up mooching a space on the floor of the my editor's bedroom at the hotel and um uh, yeah that was that was my first Gen Con and uh, did some volunteer work behind the booth for the for the folks at West End and cruised the floor. And, and when I was cruising the floor, I came across this small little booth with a black and white box set of cyberpunk. I'm like, <laughs> cyberpunk, because I just finished reading Hardwired. And it was fresh in my mind and I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to write for these people. And that was when I met Mike and Lisa and um, I guess having a paranoia chop right off the bat was enough for Mike. And uh, that's how I got started.
0: That's cool. That's yeah, awesome. I, mean, I mean, it doesn't sound like it was a rejection letter. It sounded like it was uh, notes from the editor to fix <laughs> your manuscript.
3: Exactly,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, nine pages. It's like, okay, this section's a little too similar here. I don't understand what's going on here.
1: I need to fix this. But
2: yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, not a
1: rejection. That's a critique. That's exactly in depth. <laughs> Um, oh so, man, and that you know, that seems to be we we mention this every time, but that seems to be the case is people just happen to like gamers just happen to run across you know Mike and they just get invited into the fold like that.
2: Yeah, it was actually astounding because I was quickly part of the family at Artel which. With West End, I was one of the freelancers, right? Very different feel. Um, yeah,
1: I can imagine. Um,
2: which is, is, I think, partly why everybody is always so loyal to Artel Sorian Is same same thing with with uh, AEG uh, in the board game realm. It's like if you're there, you're family. Yep. And that,
1: yeah, it's just it was a it just an entirely different culture. I mean, I've never been brought into the fold, but there are definite times where Mike has had my back. Uh and it I, I just to the extent that I've never heard like our Tal has done stuff for its community that I've I've never seen other companies do, or at least they were the first I ever saw them do. Um like, uh, they were the first I ever saw to just completely embrace the online community to the point where uh, they brought in people from the online community to work on, uh, on Chrome 4. Yep.
3: Right. yep.
1: You
2: know, you got good brains who are eager to help. Let them do it. It's not
0: a secret. Yeah, because if, if you come across somebody who's passionate about your work as well, you know, that, that's yeah. an asset you want.
2: Exactly. Why wouldn't you want to help them
1: help you? Very true. Exactly. I mean <laughs> as we've established, you were with you were with the Cyberpunk franchise from the beginning, from the from the 2013 box set. Um Oh, those were the days. <laughs> yeah, cuz I mean the, the, I mean the box set almost comes across like the box itself is 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 high quality, but the actual booklets that came with the box uh, I mean they almost come across like they were printed off on a dot matrix
2: There's definitely that that sort of oh we can afford one spot color you to them, yeah which is which is endearing and, and the, it was presented as minimalist, which you know is also clever
1: um, yeah it's gorgeous
2: there's also the time that that for whatever reason, Probably because of the original first edition D&D when it was a white box and they didn't even call it the original white box version. I actually had one of those and got beat to death. uh, But every role playing game was coming out in boxes. Cyberpunk did, Paranoia did, just for whatever reason, everyone had to box a role playing game. And it was just a shtick for a good while and then it thankfully faded.
3: But well,
0: that I, was a weird time, I, I think it was probably maybe a little cheaper um, because you could just take pages and staple them together. Like I remember yeah, it's the true, Traveler book. You
2: could saddle stitch the books. Yeah. yeah. And then they'd lay flat too, which is also nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, back then um, there was very little art in a lot of the gaming books, which was, it was nice at it, the time. And, and you can see the I growth mean, from it. Speaking of art, you guys,
1: like, it didn't actually dawn on me until, you know, I went back and started looking through credits and trying to track down people. Like, I'd always looked at the art in in the books and was all like, you know, that's kind of remnant, that that looks a lot like Nagel. And then I realized, that actually is Nagel.
2: Amazing,
1: isn't it? I mean... (laughs) I like, love it, that style. I
2: just, I really do
1: that. Oh, it's it, it's fantastic. It's defining uh, for the genre. Like it, it it's instantly puts you in that '80s, late '80s, early '90s, like near futuristic mindset. Just just the the sheer look, the simplicity of the lines. But I couldn't believe it when I realized that that was actually Patrick Nagel. Like, holy shit. And uh, that had to have been just before he took off. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, That's
2: that's my guess. I mean, I didn't deal at all with the art, but um, yeah. He, uh, my understanding is that he was, when it came time to continue the line and so forth, he'd already taken off and his prices went way past what what uh, Artel Sorian was able to afford.
1: Yeah, I so. can. I can only imagine. I mean,
2: or like doing album covers for Duran Duran. You know.
1: Yeah, a year after yeah yeah, I bought the box set. Suddenly his posters are in every uh, music store on the planet, and yep, they're fine art. And like, holy crap. Yep. Um. Did you ever imagine that? That the franchise would would go as far as it did, or it has never, never. I mean, you know, we're we're role playing games, you
2: know. Yeah, who notices us? Um, yeah, I never would have thought, uh, and and I'm just excited to see. I'm I'm ecstatic for, for Mike and Lisa, it's awesome. Um, I was actually there when they were negotiating um, the rights to netrunner at watsy oh yeah yeah i was i was allowed to be in the room because you know that i lived 10 miles from wizards of the coast and and uh my sort were flying up so this you know asked me to come along
1: and i mean uh, you got to have race Bartmost there if you're going to talk yeah. about net running and,
2: sense. uh, yeah, they actually, I mean, they flat up offered a sizable sum to Mr. Pondsmith to, uh, just buy all rights to Cyberpunk. And <laughs> he didn't, there was not even a moment's hesitation. Just like, nope, not for sale. Still, so, which I was very proud of him for.
1: <laughs> yeah, that ultimately proved to be a, a very wise move. Um, but I mean, if they had tried that, maybe you know, ten years later, it might have been a different story. Because uh, after 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 V three came and went, like there was there was really no activity for years.
0: Well, I think uh, yeah. the- like the the Netrunner card game became um, was bought out by uh, uh, who was it?
1: Yeah, but that didn't, even that didn't occur until
0: 10, 20, like a decade later,
1: like Netrunner for a very brief time was, was more popular than magic. Like it was considered a better game. Yeah. And then just as quickly as that flame burst up, it it died completely. I never did understand why. I don't
3: know
2: either. Um, I think the asymmetry may have really messed with folks yeah uh, i do know that the original watsi version um watsi suffered from some hubris at the time and yeah a lot they of made that. the cards exceptionally expensive to produce right they had that silver order yeah. yeah that that was apparently just exceptionally expensive because it the whatever that silver was did not want to stick to the cardstock, um, but took extra effort to make it happen. Um, so I, I think the sheer expense of it was also a handicap for them. And I, as I recall, they used a different type of cardstock itself as well. So I wonder, I mean. Almost all games, except for Magic, have indexed down in sales as the expansions go on. Yep. Uh, And I wonder... I also wonder if it wasn't enough projected to be enough of a success. Because WotC literally wanted to have the second Magic. They wanted to have two. Magics.
1: Yeah, they they definitely got a little greedy with that kind of thing. And I always thought it, it would have worked better if I, I'm not a fan of collectible card games. I, I like the idea of them. I like the rules. I like the I like playing them. But the whole monetary investor angle to it, where you know these cards are rare and worth tons of money, and you'll never get your hands on them, ah, uh, just it chaps me in all the wrong places i'm with you it's
2: you know originally uh talking to the folks at Watsi that the idea was that it would it would just be kind of hard to find nobody expected people to buy magic by the case <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah um just to get those cards and you know which if you actually look back at the original things uh the original alpha set some of those cards are so broken it's it's amazing because um, they were expecting just rarity
1: to be uh, the limiting factor.
3: Yeah, right.
1: yeah. The game balance kind of goes out the window. Yeah,
0: so. but but hey. also in those days they were just printing money, <laughs> literally.
1: That they were,
2: and I saw that again when I was I was actually working at Wizards when Pokemon came out. Oh, and that's another one. You want to talk about printing money? Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, they they definitely got their second batch with that. Um i was I was working at the comic book store at the time when uh, when the first magic when magic first started appearing. and it it blew my mind just how popular it it got out of out of almost nowhere. like suddenly it was just this giant explosion of of cards. And it's funny because it was it happened at the same time that pogs hit the scene. And those blew up and then died completely. A a horrible, like... Horrible gargling death that they deserved? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, you're collecting milk
2: caps. What the hell is wrong with you? So it was funny because, I mean, I remember seeing Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Here's here's one of those opportunities that I missed. Um, Mike and Lisa actually suggested I go and talk to the guys at the Wizards of the Coast booth this is pre-magic and when they were just doing like generic role-playing supplement stuff
0: like ours magic but uh, yet yeah, like you know a
2: system neutral guide to deities or stuff yeah. like that right just generic role-playing books and I saw them by their booth and and they were you know the the workers were talking to various people I looked over the the offerings they had and I'm like eh, nothing here is piquing my interest and so I just didn't bother and the next year they came out with magic and I stopped by the booth and you know managed to swag some a couple of decks and a couple of boosters and the year after that I lived in Seattle at the time and uh, so one of the little games I would play with myself as I flew to Gen Con was when do I spot the first gamer and Usually it'd be somewhere in Denver. I could usually spot my first. Okay, that guy's a gamer.
3: So <laughs> I get
2: on the airplane, and apparently the entire Watsy company shows up. I'm like, well, I guess I have an answer to this question this year, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> one of us, one of us, Google Goblin. <laughs> exactly so, yeah, yeah. I could have been in there pre
0: magic. Damn. Which that would have changed the entire trajectory of my life. Yeah, you always look at those instances and in times of your life. You're like, wow, <laughs> if I had done that. Um, yep. So let's, if, I, if
1: I had just ripped over my own shoelaces long enough to pause and think about it a second.
0: Yeah, so uh, let's get the, the elephant in the room. So you created Rach Barfmos, um, arguably the most influential and controversial NPC in the game. Um and and it's even referenced in uh Cyberpunk 2077 um the claim of him being, you know, the best netrunner and and I don't know if you've, I mean, you've looked at YouTube channels but there are quite a few out there talking about his history and and who he was so I want to so elaborate on how we... he got created <laughs>
2: let's be clear i didn't actually create Raish bartmas
3: oh okay
2: um i did however take the glimmer that existed and basically built everything i mean you know mike came up with the concept came up with the name um and when they were going to do Raish bartmas's guide to the net uh he turned to me because at the time he called me his secret weapon Um, and he said, I want you to do this. And I said, okay, what's this guy like? And he says, I wish I'd remember the exact words, but he says, Hunter S. Thompson on steroids. (laughs) Like, okay, I I vaguely knew who Hunter S. Thompson was, um, you know, having seen the, at least the advertisements and trailers for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, um... And I'd read some uh, Harlan Ellison. And so I just decided, okay, so he wants a guy who's brilliant really and out of control. And rather than, you know, go and watch a bunch of uh, stuff and, and potentially constrain my imagination, I just said, okay, I'll just sit down and just start vomiting on the page (laughs) and so i wrote the introduction to the guide to the net and and literally i'm pulling up things like delirium dreams from my childhood and uh, random weird thoughts that i had and just all this random stuff and dumping it in there and i'm like i wonder if this is what he wants and so I sent it off and he read through it and I gave him a call and said, so what do you think? And he said, ragged edge of brilliance. But I'd not ever heard the term ragged edge before. So I was like, are you saying I'm just at the edge of getting brilliant <laughs> or is this what <laughs> you want? And, and he, he assured me that it is exactly what he wanted. So I just, I just pulled the cork and let my unconscious gosh out its fire hose of doom.
0: Okay. And, so, uh, so it was Mike who actually, at least, came up with a preliminary idea yeah, of who. He, Rache he came was up with the
2: structure and... and pointed me in a direction.
0: Got it. And you just flushed it all out.
1: And I just ran with it way farther than I ever thought. <laughs> I mean, you ran beautifully, if that if if that means anything. Well, um, oh, I
2: appreciate it. It's my favorite character to write. Oh my goodness, I could. The weird thing is. It was for the brainware blowout um i was talking to Derek Quintanar and he said you know look we have this thing it's a brainware blowout we want Rache Bartmoss to um write the introduction to it and you know it's basically the Netrunner's equivalent to you know all the gun books that that we've done for the solos and uh he said, basically, and we were talking about it, and i said, we could either have the whole staff work on it all morning, or we could just give it to you and you'll come out with something twice as good in about an hour."
3: <laughs> <laughs> and
2: I remember <coughs> I wrote that intro starting at 1:30 in the morning and finished it at like 2:15 and fired it off, thinking it was a pile of crap and they were going to ask to have it redone. And uh <laughs> talk to him in the morning, they're like, Oh my goodness, we're all dying over here.
1: So, so yeah, they ran as was. I mean, he's such a he's he's such an interesting character that just fully fits in the in not just the franchise itself, but in, in the genre. Like he's ultra paranoid, computer genius that just he's the kind of guy who will burn down his own house rather than let somebody break a window.
2: Yes, that is exactly it. He is like... I don't know what it is. As as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dave Hackman said, this has got to be deeply therapeutic for you. Um, He is like all my dark nature combined with all my idealism and i don't understand how it works and i don't understand how i can just when i would start writing as ray schwartmos i would just go 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 and it just whack it, it out and whack it, it out and i did basically no editing other than spell checks on anything i wrote for him i i
1: wish i understood the actual actual implications of this
0: <laughs> i mean
1: he was important enough in the regular 2020 franchise, but like he really, really takes off in the Cyber Generation books, where like that's where these legacy characters suddenly become massively important, and he's he's the guy behind the strings of like he's the, he's the Elminster of Cyberpunk, as it were.
2: That is exactly it. And the funny thing is, of course, that my personal playtest group had no respect for him at all. <laughs> All of them disrespected him up, down, and sideways. They were such obnoxious jerks.
1: <laughs> I mean, that yeah, that so... is that is that is the definition of player, I think. Obnoxious
0: yep. jerks.
2: Calling him bark mulch and peat moss and.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, my last name I being go to... uh, Piedmont, I, I can understand peat moss. But yeah, th- there's also part of the community. Um, who just see him as kind of too over the top, um, just just because? Well, of yeah. The, again, the,
1: end the Elminster of, of yeah. Cyberpunk.
0: So uh, with, was, with the book, so there's comments from Spider Murphy. Was Spider Murphy like either David or Derek or? Spider
2: Murphy was mostly David. Okay, um, he had Excellent. to. Right. He had that. to deal with me. <laughs> He's like he called me up, he's like, I can't believe this. Now I'm having to do all these side notes and sidebars <laughs> and footnotes and all the stuff that I'm having to extract. I'm like <laughs> Um Yeah, that poor guy. I made
1: a lot of work for him. But I have So to... so Ray started out as an NPC? He's always been an N P C. Okay, I did well, see, that's the thing is uh like we it, it, it's it's part of our like side quest in doing these interviews to try and figure out which of these legacy characters were actual PCs at one point and uh, which were just NPCs who played the who played the characters who created them. Like, uh,
2: like, I can speak for nothing of that. I've actually never played in a Smith game. Okay. So Fray Bartmus existed as a net runner with a crazy Hunter S Thompson personality
0: art of my arrival got it yeah because we were talking to um benjamin about adam smasher who's another big nemesis i think in in the 2077 as well as the the uh, anime um and like where who how did he come about right and basically benjamin was oh yeah i just created him because i wanted to write this one article in solo of fortune uh from the point of view of a complete cyber psycho that sounds like benjamin
2: (laughs) that's funny no it's um yeah honestly uh as i think about it i don't think i cannot think of a character that i created that has endured
1: i mean race has definitely endured but yeah Uh, but
2: you know again just did I create him? Did, Did I create him? I mean, that's a good <laughs> question.
1: Mike, yeah. Mike it, it's like a Spider-Man, like Stanley, Jack Kirby, or uh, Steve Ditko conversation. Like, yeah. So it's it's like yeah, Stanley like created a, the concept, but then Stan Lee f- or Steve Ditko fleshed that all out.
2: As or a, you know, a line segment with like an open dot at the end where it's, it didn't start here, but it continues everywhere past there. So, yeah.
0: yeah yeah and also I consider uh,
2: Bart Mouse is me that's it's the scary thing.
0: <laughs> well, I consider um the Guide to the Net one of my top three. It is in within my top three books of um, Cyberpunk 2020, um, just because Cheers. I love oh. the detail of and fleshing out what the net was, and then the voice of Bart Mouse um kind of describing it all. I
1: mean, I I got I got the guide to the net before I had internet access Uh, so I did not understand the internet at all and that book helped me understand without any preconceptions without any bias what the internet in cyberpunk was supposed to be what it was supposed to look like what it was supposed to feel like and it's it does so perfectly if I if I'm if I'm being honest
2: well thank you thank you very much so the the one negative association I have with that book um, every year there be it run the gamma Awards uh, and award a bunch of you know awards mm-hmm. for a variety of um, projects the year that race brought guide to the net came out they didn't have the awards Oh. I don't remember why, but they didn't have it. And then, so, next year, when they had the awards the following year, <laughs> Ray Spartan guy Guide to the Net was like a year and a half old. Right. And lost out to something like, you know, GURPS
1: 4th or something like that. And I was like, all right, this just sucks. <laughs> <'Cause... clears throat> that is some shit timing right there.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was... You know, for, for as many things as I'd done, I'd always come really close, but never actually won a Gamma Award. And, of course, I finally did win one, Six Guns and Sorcery. Okay. And when I got the plaque, my name was misspelled. Oh. <laughs> was it with an I do
1: not mean to laugh
0: at your misfortune, but Jesus. Oh, no, it is... is a
2: laughable moment. There is no doubt. Was it spelt so that... an
0: A instead of an O?
2: No, it was the it was B L O M E. Blome. <laughs> Jeez.
3: Below
0: me.
2: Edward Blome. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's rough. That that yeah. That was like, yeah, it's just figures. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so have you been keeping up with um you know the, the expanse of the the cyberpunk property with uh the computer game as well as the anime and now i guess in the works there's going to be a live action um a movie the, or series i, I, I think kn- i knew
2: um i knew about the computer game i've got lots of lots of press uh my machine's <laughs> unable to handle it so i didn't even try um the anime i knew about i have not seen an episode and i had not heard about the live action it's pretty cool Yes, that's awesome. Yeah,
1: the live action was uh, just recently announced. <clears throat> um, it's going to be a Netflix series. Uh, I mean, they, they're the ones who were responsible for the anime, so I'm, I'm expecting good things. I'm hoping it's a little bit more down-to-earth than the anime. Uh, uh, I'm,
2: I'm just going to go ahead and put out right now, whoever's in charge at Netflix, if you want someone to voice <laughs> Reish Barmas the way he's supposed to be voiced, I am available.
1: Oh. All right. Well, you heard heard it here
0: first. Like we... I was actually.
2: That was actually one of the things that uh frustrated me a little bit with uh, Netrunner is they actually didn't call me in to do any of the flavor text stuff. They just did it all in house.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh as a result of which, there was a few bits of attributed to Bart Moss that like, no, you never. He would wouldn't have said
1: Wiggly. Wiggly. Yeah. Never would... would say Wiggly ever. <laughs>
0: oh uh, yeah in the yeah. um computer game we're we're not 100 percent sure if it's actually him but th- there is a bit of a, a side quest in which you find the body of a net runner in a refrigerator out in a, a junkyard <laughs> <clears throat> and um johnny is of we're course just... johnny being he is the most unreliable narrative narrator yep. in in the in the in the game he says, Oh my god, that's Reach Barmos. And you know, you're like, Really? After fifty years being in the refrigerator out in the hot sun? He he's pretty... still, there's still ice in this motherfucker. Yeah.
2: Rach is very resourceful, man. Do not discount him ever.
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah, no, uh, I think popular consensus is is he's still running around out there somewhere. Because if there's anybody who's going to fake his own death, it's going to be that guy.
2: Oh, yeah. And he'll do it twice.
0: <laughs> Just to make sure. Plus, I'm sure he has, like, various uh, clones of him from his own version of Soul Killer that oh, make yeah. clop copies of him. Um, He's got the rabbits and so forth. Yes. So, were you part of the blowing up of uh, the world, as it were, in uh, the Firestorm series? Just-
1: of the of the internet.
0: Uh I was not. I was told it was
2: coming and so I had to um, that that informed some of the stuff that I was doing. But that was a decision that was made in house. And I've actually to be clear, I've always been a freelance for Artelsorian. Uh I've never been employed in the direct zone. The only time I was in house was right after my divorce. They let me uh work in literally a supply closet (laughs) at their office for three (laughs) months just so i could be out of seattle and away from everything so uh, they're very kind that way So, so i called dave ackerman i said i was getting a divorce and he said you know he invited me to come down stay with him as long as i needed next thing he did was he called Pondsmith and mike said get him down here and he said he's already on his way <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful that is that yeah. is absolutely beautiful.
2: so yeah. yeah
0: literally worked out of supply closet that's to your point that they treated you like family exactly because i know <laughs> other employers who had freelance writers would not do that for a freelance writer yeah no they would be like oh yeah that sucks uh oh no, sucks to be you yeah when's my stuff turning in yeah <laughs> so tell me when you're settled and uh we'll send some work your way
2: so yeah so that was actually when i was working on six guns and sorcery and uh, curiously uh my recent divorce uh informed the very ending of the narrative of that story <laughs> so which I'll just leave as a research
0: project. <laughs> Got it. Um, so what okay. so c- cyber? Genera- you, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Roderick. I was just
1: gonna. I was just gonna ask. Uh, it, since uh, we've established that uh, you it, like the decision to destroy the internet and all that didn't come from you, how what direction would you have gone with that? Just out of curiosity. Like where we what 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 would you see Raish's steps being at the end of the at the end of the corporate war?
3: You know
2: I could go two directions. One would be to turn the entire internet into effectively disinformation. Imagine the internet where Raish personally decides what everybody gets, right? You know, imagine a situation I made up. I've imagined this, you know, even separate from uh, just separately. Like, you know, imagine an AI gets in the internet and I call you over teams and we have a chat and the computer, the, the AI is actually controlling what we hear um and so you know i could be saying you know hey i'm really concerned about the rise of ai and you know you say back you know yes it concerns me too but what i hear is oh no i don't think it's a big deal right because (laughs) all the data is being filtered and adjusted right that would be one way to go uh which then puts people in this horrifying position of needing the internet to get stuff but being able not being able to fully trust anything they get um the other would be to actually wipe it out completely. Uh but then that turns into a post apocalyptic wasteland, which is probably not the way to go for our book. But it does balkanize everything, which would actually be kinda of cool. That was one of the things I liked about hardwired was that everything was balkanized.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that would definitely be an interesting interesting way to go.
0: So um was was a, just a couple ideas. Yeah. So speaking of the aftermath, um, what cyber generation book were you most proud of? Because you did write quite a few.
2: Honestly, I think probably best Steel day because I think it, I think it just held together the best.
1: Um, that was my favorite of them.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm really sad that Cybergen did not take off the way I think it deserved to. But I think it was a little too um, kind of esoteric role playing, you know, role playing that whole kind of junior high. It would take five years.
1: It uh, I, I I think it was throwing too many things in the pot at once. Yeah, I think if it had just been the the like younger kid role playing, uh, it it that would have been probably okay. Or if it had just been like let's add superpowers to Cyberpunk, that could have been okay. But to throw them all together, and I think it might have been a little bit much for people. You know what uh, I would love to do
2: though. Oh, I would love.
1: To do, basically, an anime on that storyline. I mean, it would lend itself to that so perfectly. So I've got, I have structure already all
2: built out in my head, but sadly, it'll probably never see the light of day.
1: Well, I mean, the Edge if Runners anime. anime look if there's any pretty anime
2: artists out there who want to come up, let me know. <coughs>
0: Wow.
1: Like, the cybernetics as presented in the Edge Runners anime were pretty much superpowers. So, <laughs> it, it came pretty close and all the characters are pretty young, so. i uh, to go and check that out. Were there any books that you really wish you had worked on? We, we kind of hinted at this earlier. You know, the,
2: um, 2077 one, um, the or is it 27 or is it red? Anyways, the one, um, is basically Bart Monson's last hurrah. Uh, I really, uh, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak, and I was just going through a bunch of stuff, uh, on the home front that was just brutal. Um, my son got long COVID, and oh. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, and it attacked his central nervous system. And we're talking about a guy who outscored me on the SAT by 60 points. Um, and at his low point, playing dominoes was too hard. Oh my God. Oh yeah. It was, it was uh, one of the most brutal sections of my life. Um, where you know we didn't know if we were going to lose him and if we didn't lose him we didn't know what was going to be left and it i'm still not fully recovered from that there's still a part of me that's um just got this kind of existential dread still around it so so yeah, it is unfortunate that, that was like the last book I had an opportunity to work on, and I knew I didn't have it in me to, um, to write, but I didn't want to leave Raysh Bartmas for anyone else. So right. I tried, and I just I just couldn't pull it together. I just couldn't. So that's the one I regret. So, Man, I, I am a little I am heavier sorry. <laughs> answer <laughs> than you probably <laughs> <that>. wanted. <laughs>
3: Um, I mean, COVID you know,
1: was a fucked up time, and yeah, uh, I mean, crazy. I think we all lost people that we cared about, or had people who, uh, you know, Yeah, are suffering, you know, the long-term effects of, of that. Yep. That's why it's right. so very infuriating to hear all these guys, like, here's the hoax, like, I just want to strangle them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so...
3: Now,
2: on the other hand, you know, because it needs to be out there. Yeah. He's uh, currently uh, got one year left in school and he's running a four point and uh, majoring in data analytics. Oh, man. A 48 hour film festival and one year and came in second the next year um, running a uh, podcast. So he's doing well.
1: Well, awesome. that's fantastic. He's, I am I am so recorded. happy <laughs> to hear that he is. Uh, recovered at least to the point that he had. Yeah, he he is not fully recovered. He
2: still has to kind of watch his exertion, because if he overexerts himself, then he'll crash. But no, he's doing great. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's the one thing that you, you look at all the stuff that was written for Cyberpunk 2020, and how some of it some of it was far off, right? Like the whole space explorer exploration. But there's other things that are just like hitting home with, you know, corporations and and the dystopian future, uh, even the various yep. plagues that are that have hit. <clears throat> um, I mean,
1: what is cope? But if not the wasting plague?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly,
2: exactly. You know, and and uh, the control that media corporations have, and you we're know, uh, actually seeing the rise of. Security corporations, you know, the Wagner group. Yes. Oh, absolutely.
3: So I mean, hell,
1: Monsanto owns Blackwater now. I don't Mm -hmm. they changed the name, but I mean
0: Really? That's terrifying. That is terrifying.
1: That is like the two most evil companies combined, like Jesus. Oh yeah. Um, actually BlackRock.
2: That's I'll put them. I'll put them and Google up at the top of any evil company list. So uh, what else is that? Oh, yeah. Also, I mean, basically what we're seeing here is, I mean, Eisenhower warned us about the military industrial complex, right? And I mean, if you go back and look, German industrialists were one of the major forces behind the outbreak of World War One. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, but looking around now, what it looks like we have to me is we have a media pharmaceutical complex. Yes. So pharmaceuticals, isn't it like two-thirds of the ads now or something like that? Some huge
1: amount of money the pharmaceutical companies are paying to the media companies for advertisements. I mean, I'll see advertisements for drugs that don't even tell me what the drug is supposed to do or what it's supposed to Uh, treat. What the (laughs) hell?
2: (laughs) Well, it's so a doctor. You hey, doctors. doctors Any these 10 drugs, effect, right, for
1: me?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Side effects, spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, you know, is. And these companies can pull their advertising at a moment's notice. So are they actually going to get the scrutiny that they deserve? Probably. So, yeah. That's one
1: of the. Now everything's bought and paid for now. Yep. So um, to the point that in a way, like uh like disinformation structure of the internet has come to pass like I, nobody knows what's real anymore.
2: That is true. For some reason, fact checkers are king, even though you don't know who they are or where they check their facts from.
1: <laughs> I mean, things- chat GPT, deep fakes, yeah. AIR, like all this stuff. Oh, yeah and,
2: and the, the very fact that chat GPT will generate references if it can't find actual articles
0: I know. yeah and, and to, holy cats guys come on the the best one was um where a law firm actually used chat GPT to uh post uh, uh, I forget what what the term was but basically they were making an argument to the court <clears throat> on the defense of something and basically Chat gpt made up citations um wow. where the where the judge was like what the hell is this this there's no such thing you know wow. um and, and basically calling these lawyers out and the lawyer's like oh well we gotta you know we had one of our assistants do the the actual, <laughs> work on this we're, we're really sorry it's like okay you put your name on it therefore you are responsible yep. for the yep. contents of this
2: I kiss the bar goodbye
0: yeah and then i was watching a, another video in which um basically ai content on youtube that's being generated specifically around what what they're labeling as educational um to the point where, oh, it's terrifying. where Where there's videos of like how the pyramids are, are, are used to produce tons and tons of energy, but the governments don't want you to know. And they were showing this to little kids, and the little kids, oh, yeah, hey, did you know that pyramids used to generate energy? And they're, they're like, that. that's a lie. And they're like, oh, but it wow. said it was educational. <laughs> like, Yeah, they can't
2: put it online if it's not true.
0: Yeah, exactly. So just seeing some of the the facts that are being um, portrayed, like even even the legit, you know, uh, educators of science, they are starting to see their uh, videos being copied by AI, and and making it and presenting it like they do, which if you if you're, um, you know, don't know any better, you would assume it's the same scientist who's presenting that data.
2: actually, to jump back to your your previous question, the other book, I always wanted to write a novel narrated by Rache.
1: I, I, it definitely would have been a must-buy for me. I mean, I, I'm about very your sp- unreliable narrator. Uh, especially since the only two novels we did get.
0: <laughs> oh, come on, oh. bite boy, bite boy forever. Big Boy
1: and Bite Girl. Oh, Lord. I
3: think those well, things ruined yeah. it
1: for any other aspiring writers who wanted to create novels or short stories for the franchise.
2: So Mike was actually talking about putting together an anthology of short stories, and I have one that's ready. But, yeah, I hope he does that. Yeah,
0: I don't know if he is because I I approached him um, at this recent Gen Con asking about it. Because, you know, a lot of the communities has been doing a bunch of homebrew stuff as well as doing fan fiction. And I I asked him about, hey, what are you guys doing for fiction? And basically at this time, they're not thinking of it because it's not always a moneymaker. Right, because it, it's that a big true. chance that you, you're you not going to get the money or the return of, of what you invest in it. Yeah.
1: So, well, I mean, 2077 just had a novel drop, and they've had several comics come out.
0: Yeah, that's, that's um,
1: different than uh, our Talsorian would, doing one. Sure, sure. But, uh, I mean, I think Red is every bit as interesting of a universe as 2077 i mean it's the same universe just an earlier time period it
0: is but i i think there's also some things especially if like like ed you want to write a short story about race whether cdpr has to give some approvals right and make sure that it's yeah i I think what
1: they that's the biggest like that's probably the biggest hurdle to reach is uh, apparently c d p r owns the rights to everything like within ten years before and everything after uh, so that creates its own and yeah, it creates its own issues yes yeah web of entanglement as it were
0: and and the other thing that mike said at at gencon was his his deal with cdpr is kind of like taking his child and putting it in school and he's now part of the the pta right right whereas (laughs) cdpr is is responsible for the education of your child (laughs) um so how much control is still around i don't know right but yes I, i i would love to see more fiction around Cyberpunk, but I don't know who we're going to get it from, <laughs> as it were. But who knows? Maybe you can convince Mike. He's still got him on speed dial, right?
2: <laughs> I, I do have him. Actually, I've got his his uh, weak point. I can go in through Cody.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: Oh, there you go.
2: So, yeah, actually, the last conversation that we had at uh, Gen Con was... Basically a of, holy crap, how did we get so old?
1: <laughs> oh man.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I remember
1: I remember Mike uh announcing the birth of Cody in, in the back of one of the books. And now he's got his own game line coming
3: out.
0: Yep. Um so, scary. So are you still gaming?
2: Yeah. Yeah, actually. Um it's shifted a lot to board gaming. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I could not get either my kids as into role playing as as I was. Um, sad but true. Um, but too much well, math. Well, board gamers. And I'm on a couple of online uh, RuneQuest games. It's uh, my poison of choice these days. The new RuneQuest Glorantha uh, version. I've always loved RuneQuest.
1: Yeah. I mean it's a popular game. It gets it. I hear nothing but good things. It's I'm not so much into fantasy, but uh, Glorantha is one of the better systems I've seen. Yeah, it's.
2: I mean, the thing. One of the things in the, the new version is that character creation starts with your grandparents. Nice. <laughs> right, this is cool. <laughs> you know, so your grandparents' prejudices and actions have have an impact on you.
0: Yep, I actually watched um a video of character creation and how it was like oh your grandparents were part of this war that happened at this time and you know they they had they were on this side and and the parents and how that affected the parents afterwards um it sounded like a a more expanded life path compared to to cyberpunk 2020
2: and i've actually seen that that in action right um i actually got back to uh my home village in uh i know, what was it ninety end of 95. um and it was like bit, you know i show up and it's like oh hey a bulmi is here from from the u.s and the first question i was asked is so who are you <laughs> and i said i'm pater's great grandson and they're like oh okay <laughs> everybody knew Pater. <laughs> So, yeah, they just, they needed to know how it connected, and uh, I'm like, wow, you know, so I've already got that, that reputation of the, the guy who skipped town with his fiance, or with, with, actually, another guy's fiance, but that was the other guy, it was an arranged marriage that uh, she did not want to be part of, so.
0: Wow, for, so, yeah. for progressive even back then. Yeah, I actually had a, a cousin who went to Ireland and I think it was our great great grandparents who came over. Um and when he went over there, he went to the you know, the village where, where they originally from. And they're like, Ah, oh, Devaney, oh, we know a Devaney over here. And yes, it was an ancestor, but they like took him in, had lunch with them, um, sat and chat about like, you know, how the history of that town was and who who the Devaney's were for them um it's interesting to just see like if you follow back your history uh to whether it's europe or wherever and just meet people who may be distantly related to you yep and you can
2: you can just see some of the family traits
0: it was pretty cool so what are you working on now these days? Uh, I'm honestly, um,
2: just trying to keep making money so I can get my last kid through college. Um, <laughs> I do have a couple of board game designs that uh, I've been simmering on. Um, actually, the frustrating part is I've sold two of them, and after not getting published, Rice reverted back to me. So... Oh well. Wow. Um, Say, so yeah, I've got uh, those two plus two others that I'm simmering on. I need to. One of them I designed so well that I designed all the fun out of it, and I need to take it back to the drawing board. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm working on. Board games. So is that your new passion? Is um, board games? It's. I will tell you this. I was in the hobby gaming industry I mean I sold I count from when I sold 86 to uh, 16 so like 30 years a lot of it was as a freelance Uh, for a short time I was actually uh, probably one of the highest paid people in gaming and that was not me that said that that was a former co-worker Um, and after many, many years of low pay and lack of benefits, I have a stable job now, and I'm so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> so, gaming is back to a hobby. Right. Which is a heck of a lot nicer from where it was. Um, you know, there's nothing like trying to support a family of four on $40,000 a year and no benefits. So... Uh,
0: that's a herculean task
2: yeah it was it was not easy and
0: um yeah so you know i'm i've got
2: a good job i've got great coworkers. i work on a great team my boss all the way up to the third level um bosses up to the third level are all wonderful people um i'm getting paid well i've got awesome benefits and now i can afford to buy games instead of for <laughs> swag at gen con so all right it's it actually helped. funny when uh when i first started going to gen con the show floor would die at about noon on sunday just die there'd be nothing left and that's when all the dealers would start to do swaps right and yeah the people <laughs> at the best system was fossa because they would basically stack up the books that their people wanted and stack up the books that you people wanted and if they were even good enough <laughs> they, they basically traded by the shelf inch
3: <laughs> really <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes and so I... there was, was one year that that uh i was interested in shadow run and uh you know being from seattle and uh a whole bunch of them wanted a bunch of stuff from artel Sorian, and no one from artel Sorian had anything they wanted from shadow Run. so i ended up with like Literally two and a half feet, shelf feet worth of books from FASA because I got it all.
0: <laughs> Is that when uh, Sam Lewis was uh, kind of in charge of FASA or part of FASA?
2: I don't have an answer to that. Oh, okay.
0: Because <laughs> I met Sam Lewis years ago. Um, had some gripes about where he was taking the BattleTech universe, but he's like, "Hey, man, I just." <laughs> the... <laughs> Mike Stackpole, man, he's the one we just give him money, and he tells us where we're where we're, where he's going with it. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, cool. So
2: you know, it was it was a fun run, but and a wonderful way to spend time if you're a crazy single young man. But um, so so to be as crazy as he used to be.
0: With your board games, are you creating, like, um, collaboration games or are they actual, you know, you're you're playing against another player?
2: One of them is a party game. One of them is a semi-co-op where you can all lose, but uh, if you want to keep score, then you can figure out who wins. Um, One of them is a one against many.
3: Kind of like... Uh, uh, uh,
2: one of them is a Battle Royale. Okay. Interesting. And one of them basically is is um, one player plays, if you will, the Empire, and the other players, however many there are, each have their own group of rebels. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I forget what the game is called. It might be just called Dracula. But I, I know of a board game and um, I played it once in which... One of the players takes the role of Dracula, while all the other yeah. players yeah. <laughs> play, you know, his opponents and trying to <laughs> try, try find them. <laughs> yeah, try to survive and try to kill them. Um, and I like the the co um, the co op games because it definitely uh, allows all the players to, especially players who aren't as competitive <laughs> as it were, um, right. right? To be like. You know because whenever you you have a non-competitive player play a competitive game you have no challenge right because eventually they're just yeah. gonna be like man eh, whatever i'll play yeah, the challenge for me the challenge for me on competitive games is
2: you have to restrict communication or you suffer from alpha gamer syndrome right right if you have one guy who like has the game analyzed you don't want him to direct everybody else through the steps. In which case, basically, it's just a one-player game with a bunch of people acting as wrists. Um, so I played a couple of cooperative games that I liked where you literally were not allowed to talk to each other, hmm. and that was cool. That was cool, right? It was one of them was a deck builder, right? And uh, basically, you could play cards on your your partners, but you couldn't ask. You just basically played. Yep. And if they used it, if they could use it, they could use it. If they couldn't, they couldn't.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that because I play a lot of uh, Arkham Horror. um, Right. And just introducing the players first to the game, uh, you kind of be that alpha player, right? Hey, you should do this, or you should, you know, go here, defeat that portal, fight that monster, go get that clue. Um, Right. But then it also gets into some players who are like, okay, tell me what to do the next time we play, as opposed to them oh, I think it would be better off if this character did this, right? Right.
2: Yep. That was that was uh, my first experience of Pandemic was one player was like, okay, well, in this case, you should go here, you should go here, you should go here.
0: Right.
2: And you know that anything you do other than that is going to actually be counterproductive. So at, basically at that point, you're not playing the game, which is that one of the differences between board games and... Role playing games, which, you know, honestly, role playing games in that sense are really great. I actually had um, one of my high school friends, one of our, we were a gaming group, and he started bringing his younger brother, um, who was a highly competitive guy. And after playing role playing games with us for about a year, he freely said that role playing games taught him how to live.
0: Yeah, interesting.
2: Because it wasn't I mean, all
1: about me, it wasn't all about <coughs> me winning. Yeah, it's they're like beyond just fun, beyond just creativity. They're they they're such a useful tool just for learning socialization and problem solving and working yep. with your friends
0: and teamwork. Uh,
1: yeah, like I don't I don't think the importance of role playing games for any any real gamer the importance in their social development can ever be understated.
2: Yep, sort of like uh, being a waiter. <laughs> yeah, Those things that everybody should have to do for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think if more people were waiters, uh, there wouldn't if be more... the problem with people disrespecting them so much. Exactly.
2: If everyone had been a waiter, waiters would make a lot better living. <laughs>
1: Yeah, any any kind of service position where you have to deal with the public. Yep. Like everybody should everybody should be in that position at least once, just just so they understand.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the trends—I'm not sure if I like it or not—is how simplistic role-playing games have been slowly becoming. Right. Um, yes, it it helps with the ad lib and the role playing aspect of it but i think you also miss out on some of the other skills that that role playing would do at least f- from my point of view with the old crunch right i have to know math i know ha- have to have some type of understanding of the economy um and and you understand have to be able
2: to calculate probabilities and odds of... yes
0: should i use my healing potion now or would it be better if i held on to it until i really really need it right um yep or use a specific spell at a certain time
1: uh organization i mean just so many things come into play with the crunchier systems that just aren't present with the really simplistic systems yeah yeah um I I, I I it's it's a very double edged sword a, a more complex system is harder to learn, therefore harder to get people to try in the first place. yep, but I think it's a more rewarding experience overall because the the role playing aspects they can come out in any game you're playing. that just that just depends on the yeah. right group of people and the right GM depends on the, uh, yeah
2: exactly the people in the GM that's what matters. <laughs> It's, uh, uh yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, playing Paranoia with wrong, one wrong guy in the group, not
1: a good experience. <laughs> no, no. It, it goes from, I mean, Paranoia is, is such a different animal compared to most role-playing games. Um, I, I, the first, like, year, uh, the group I tried playing it with, we, it was the most fun we ever had getting nowhere.
2: Yeah. I literally, literally as game mastering and at the start of the adventure, just to see what happened, I just put them in a room and had them wait. It was a featureless room there and I had them wait. And within five minutes, two thirds of them were dead.
3: <laughs>
2: I, I didn't have to provide any stimulus.
1: Oh, it was wonderful. Computer doesn't even have to speak up. But I'll take another pill just in case.
0: Yeah, that was the, the one game I found hard to create campaigns for. Um, yeah, you could string along the modules, but it was very. Because if the players got too powerful, it seemed like they. Or, or how they basically worked the system. Um. It just—I don't know—it got a lot. The, I, the, the power creep was was too much, I think. Even though, as computer, you could definitely just slap them down. i to
1: say I, I never had a character to live long enough to get powerful. Like, it well, just take with, another with, with six clones,
0: <laughs> you know, you you had a you had the opportunity to kill quite a few characters.
1: So you a... you are much more skilled at that game than I am because I went through those clones like tissue paper. <laughs>
2: I mean, that's exactly it. We had one of our guys was um, uh, who was given an experimental invisibility field generator, and uh, at some point he got in trouble and I turned it, he turned it on. I slipped him a card, and the card said, "You've been disintegrated. Go ahead and role play a traitor."
3: <laughs> <Right>?
2: <laughs> and so. He pushes the button and he fades from sight. And the guy reads the card and he looks up at me. And he says, "Really?" I said, <laughs> "Yep." He says, "I run." And <laughs> everyone's like shooting into the air, trying to trying to gun him down, right? Yeah. His clone activates. First thing his clone does is send, Fred computer, I would like to volunteer to test the invisibility field generator."
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and they go on the adventure. They continue to foil, and the first sign of trouble, he says, "I hit the button and run." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh he lost, man!
2: I think he obliterated four of his own clones that way.
1: Dude, the writing you did for that game—it was—it's was basically role, it, it, It's a role-playing game if your GM was Douglas Adams.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the. I, so I did a novel for, for Paranoia. Um when mm. you said you read it. Did you? did we say you read it? I so did, I did a novel. It. And uh yeah. they printed I want to say they printed ten thousand copies. That's a engineer's wild guess. And I guess they sold five thousand copies to Barnes and Noble and it sold through. And so they asked Barnes and Noble if they wanted to reorder. And the guy said no, we only sold five thousand copies. Hmm. If you only bought five thousand copies. He said, "Yeah, but I could lose my job for reordering a book that only sold five thousand copies."
3: <laughs> Jeez, what an ass!
2: Like, really? Oh yeah. I would love to have done a whole series on that one. I'd, I'd uh, ideas for the next three novels following the, that family.
0: So but are, are you? Still, to pass. Are you still writing? That's them? a crime. Novels?
2: I uh, Am I still writing at all? Well, I'm a technical writer in my day job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh,
2: okay. So I haven't—I have not written for a while. Um, had some unfortunate experiences, um, and you know, again, some some bad timing, uh, and the media landscape has shifted enough now that it's going to be brutal at best to try and break back into writing Mm -hmm. uh, fiction right um which honestly is why you know having like a, a manga or comic strip series or something like that uh that is actually a viable way to bootstrap up these days but of course you have to have the right partner who's in it for the long haul that's so. right or you have to know how to draw which i can cartoon but i can't draw <laughs> uh to the level that i would need to be able to that off got it unless it was all done at night
0: <laughs> i could do
1: that you go the uh KODT route and just use the same stick figures
2: over and <laughs> there over. There <again>. you go. <laughs> Order of the stick. Man, those guys are... There's your stick oh, figures.
1: Yeah. Order of the stick, yeah. That's That was a good one, too. Um, I haven't read that in a while. I wonder how that's doing these days. Um, It's
2: doing. <laughs> you need to go catch up.
0: So we got about yeah, another half hour for the show. So, are you still good? Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So. So. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that—that's what we get into when when it's just a bunch of voices. Um. So you said <laughs> you uh, hung out with uh, Dave Ackerman for a little while. Uh, did you guys actually do any gaming, or was it more or less, you know? coming up with ideas?
2: So, funny thing about Dave Ackerman, I first met him over the phone. It was a a three-way call with him, Mike, and me. And I didn't like him at all. (laughs) Did not like Dave Ackerman at all. (laughs) Um, But, turns out, he's actually my brother from another mother. (laughs) Um, When I was down there with him, we'd be driving along we're driving along and of all things we have a mcdonald's menu and dave reads a menu item and we both make the same joke at the exact same time and he reads the next menu item and we both make the joke at the exact same time and we had dave's wife laughing so hard and the (laughs) synergy of it was astounding uh so yeah um so when i was down there did we uh to a game no we, we did everything but he actually was the one that introduced me to babylon 5 which in my opinion remains the best science fiction that's ever been done um, really oh yeah i don't know Expan- mm. um, expanse was there, pretty good there, ha- there have been movies expanse was good expanse was good and firefly could have i was gonna say babylon 5 if it had gone on
0: um, Babylon Five. Have you seen it? I've seen few seasons. Yes.
1: So I, uh, yeah. I tried watching it. The, 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 I, I could never, I could never get past the goofy aliens.
2: So the challenge that Dave gave to me was watch season one, and if at the end of season one you are not hooked, then um, and it, I I got hooked, and I hooked my son, my daughter, one of my daughter's best friends, my wife, both my brothers. Uh, who else? <laughs> <laughs> it's you have to watch it in order. It's part of the part of the issue, right? You can't. Unlike Star Trek, where you can just watch an episode here or there. Yeah, because uh, of have the wars the that happen. One continue. It's one continuous story, right? Yeah. And every time I've watched it, mind you, I've watched it, let me think, how many times have I watched it through? Watch watched it through myself, then with my wife, then with my daughter, then with my son. I've watched it through, I think now, five times, all the way through. Wow. Every time I pick up on new stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it... <sighs> It appeals the, to people the same way that Star Trek appeals to people. Um, and I've just... Uh, I've never been able to get into Star Trek
2: either. But Star Trek is different. See, Star Trek, they have the two-minute rule, right? You know, so, oh my goodness, there's two minutes left in the episode. Time to wave our magic hands and solve the issue and move on so that everything's yeah, back Yeah, Formula started. TV. Right. right. So, you know, for example, um, in Star Trek, they might come across a planet and, and the... Uh, there's a plague that's killing all the people on the planet. And they can't do anything because of the Prime Directive, and they can't do this and they can't do that. And then two minutes to go, Doctor Crusher finds something, and they uh, spray a fog over the whole planet, and everyone's saved, right?
3: Yep. Babylon yeah. Five.
2: It, there is an episode where in Babylon Five, a one particular race starts dying from a disease. They don't tell anyone because of the religious implications that this has so that more and more of them start dying, and the race starts abandoning the planet, their planet, and traveling to get away from it. Um, On Babylon 5, the disease starts to vector into other aliens, which results in, um, shall we say, species riots, uh, which force Babylon 5 to sequester all the people of that race in one end of the station, where, unfortunately, they're all together with this highly infectious disease. And they, two minutes to go, Dr. Franklin finally gets a vaccine. He does part way through, he develops a vaccine that'll save other aliens, but not the species because it interacts badly with something in their blood or something like that, right? So they can't administer that. Two minutes to go, he finally gets something that'll mask that out. They go to start administering the injections and they're all dead. And the fact that they're all dead is important three years later.
3: Hmm.
1: I mean, I dig shows like that. I just... uh, And I I love the look of the ships. Like, I'll say that right off the bat. Like, the space fighters were some of the coolest space fighters I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And they they used Newtonian physics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that was... Like that was the first I'd ne- I'd never seen that in a show of its type at the time it, it came out. You know, I think the only thing I'd ever seen that in, outside of like hard science, like 2001, was uh, the Last Starfighter of all places.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I understand we're saying about the aliens. Um, you honestly, you could probably just skip the pilot for Babylon Five because they changed the alien, um make-up between the pilot and the first episode um the ones that were the hardest for me initially to get through get through were the centauri who had their like fan like hair But you just if you just look at them as, as peacocks, <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's their hairstyle it's a fashion it's a it's a sign of authority for them and and class um yeah and, and those guys doing,
1: were hard to look at but what really got me were the little the Yoda-looking things. And I may be mixing it up with a different show. I over. think you're mixing it up because I do not
2: recall. There's one animatronic insect guy, but everyone else is humanoid. Okay. and he inside played by human actors. So you must be crossing something up.
1: It's it's entirely possible. There, the, When it came out, there were a lot of sci-fi shows on. Yes, the there were. Yes, there were. So I would encourage you to give that another shot. You know, I may I may do that. I may go give give that another try. I know uh, I've got a friend who will be very excited to hear that I might be giving it another try. So
2: watch season one in order, and there are like about five episodes in season one that you could completely skip if you want to shorten the time, or miss one of the worst episodes in the series. So,
3: um,
2: <laughs> but yeah. So I mean. I, I, with my son, I mean, I had to force him to, right? And I was like I had to get him to just watch one episode a week, please, right? And I couldn't even do that. And then finally, I close the season one. It ends. I turn the lights on, and my son says,
1: "Yeah, I'm hooked."
3: <laughs>
1: I mean, and, I'm notorious to get to watch some of these shows. Like it took me. Avatar, the last airbender had been off the air eight years before I finally gave that a shot. And sure that I, I, I kicked myself so hard about that, that it, 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 I still feel it.
2: Well, just, so yeah, the- just as, as a benchmark, like I said, it was forcing my son to watch an episode every one or two weeks. By the time we got to the end of the series, we were watching three to four episodes a week, and when we were at six episodes left, we binged them all up one night. Just so. saying.
3: Yeah. I, I understand. Well, I need something
1: that. new to watch. Uh, I'm an exactly. so. um, uh,
0: <clears throat> I have yeah. no problem with binging, because I think...
1: No, no. No problem at all with binging.
0: <laughs> with Would... Breaking Bad, when I finally was introduced to Breaking Bad, I think it was in the fifth season. I think I ran through five seasons within a month. (laughs) Yeah. It was bad. I didn't get a lot of sleep that month. (laughs) I bet you did. It was a great series. Anyways, uh, just to get back into the, the cyberpunk genre... Yeah. Um, ha- have you seen or read uh cyberpunk red at all in the rules uh i went through it um
2: oh so yes i have uh i actually cleared out basically all my role-playing stuff so i gave it to a guy who was uh, very uh, very excited to to get it so but i did read through it and it, it's i like what they did with it I just, you know, had to be
1: realistic and I wasn't going to get a chance to play it. Got it. Um, well, you're always welcome in my games. <laughs> you run them online? Uh, I do. He, he does. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just circle up on
0: that. All right. Except it's IU, if you don't mind that. Yeah, it's Interlock <laughs> Unlimited
1: and it's we still play 2020, so...
0: <laughs> Even better. yeah so um Uh, so you did read it you kind of liked it or i mean the one thing i liked about red was how it evolved especially with the roles and how it took the the roles and kind of fleshed out the skills for them um yeah yeah i appreciated that
2: and that um you know it was definite improvement in the life path um you know, of course, I got it at the same time that I got uh, RuneQuest, so ah,
3: but like, torn,
0: <laughs> yes, no! I, so, can, I can imagine. Uh, it's 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 always tough. Um, hard
2: role playing games, uh, and by hard, I mean like you know, science and, and science based, it's always tougher. Um, because hosts are so much more lethal.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, they are.
2: And so it's harder.
1: Yeah, and you also can't suspend disbelief quite as much. Like it has to. Exactly. Right. It has to. It has to work within the physics that you at least have a casual understanding of. I yeah. mean fantasy you can just do whatever with like that's the beauty of fantasy but exactly exactly with with science fiction especially the harder science fiction and the near future stuff it has to stay grounded uh in order to for everybody to have the same buy-in
2: exactly right you know i mean you look at you look at expanse right um some great, if you will, role playing moments in there. Uh, oh, absolutely scripted. But how many, how many gunfights did they actually get it?
1: Yep. Right. I mean, not as many as not, not as many as people want to think, because in <laughs> space gunfights are freaking they're, they're really <laughs> nasty, you know. And yeah, and I appreciated that they're
2: uh, you know, when, they, when they're when going into battle on the Rocinante, they're all wearing spacesuits as their hole gets punched through a yeah. hundred different places. And But, you know, I mean, Burton, great tough guy, right? You gotta love him. But... Yeah. How many times has he, he fired a pistol? You know, likewise, Serenity.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, again.
2: There, there were gunfights, but people died. Yes.
1: So, I mean... Both of those shows, you get the idea, I mean, even more so with The Expanse, that, like, that, it it just feels like it came out of someone's RPG campaign. Yep. With with Firefly, you had guys like Ben (coughs) Edlund writing it, who created The Tick and all that uh so you get where that humor and that dialogue and that those situations come from um but even then it it feels it it, it lends itself so well to a role playing game because of those moments whereas uh the more fantastical stuff is hard for me to buy into as, as well that's why i don't really yeah. do the fantasy much anymore see but to
2: me that's one of the inherent challenges that's hard to crack in cyberpunk is mean you know, what does everybody want everyone wants a big gun and lethal cyberware right but if you actually use it, it's exceptionally dangerous and so yeah
1: it, it's, it's your... more uh, it's more dangerous for your character to fire his gun than it is to just be cool
2: right and so and so then you're uh in a way you're not using the stuff that you spent all your money on right and it's all about posturing and maneuvering and and intelligence which i mean i love that stuff i really do but it's often not what people think when they think about cyberpunk right Right. As as a as a general genre right um so yeah, it's, it's a I mean, metal. Cyberpunk is to me is one of the hardest games to aim game
1: master. But but is it though? I mean, because some of the some of the most famous examples of the genre are very much that more cerebral, like talk your way out of it. Like Deckard in Blade Runner only fires his gun like twice in the
0: whole movie. And, well, he gets his gun slapped out of his hand before he can yeah. fire it a couple he times. Fires right.
2: At Batty, Leon and um, oh, Crime, what's the dancer's name? Chris. 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 Chris Zora. So so he fires at those three. But yeah, I mean, it's very little gunfight in the whole thing, right?
1: Yeah, but it's it's yeah. It's not an acting movie. It's it's a very cerebral romp
2: exactly and it's it's wonderful I just and and yet you know you look at the supplements for cyberpunk right got how many books of arms and armor
1: right well yeah Um, because it's
3: still fun
2: (laughs) but you know I don't want to get my head turned into a canoe you know Um, so that's that's the challenge and like I say it's it's uh, it's a tough challenge especially to improv I, mean, I, can, I can improv Paranoia all day long. I can improv uh, RuneQuest quest all day long. Um, Cyberpunk is one I really have to sit down and plan.
1: See, and I... Cyberpunk was the first game I ever ran. And I ran it like the first the first ten years I, I ran it, I never planned anything. It just... It was all off-the-cuff stuff. So I, I didn't... Now, granted, my games back then were a lot more action-oriented, uh, and I was a lot more forgiving. Um, so I may not have started out as a very good GM in that regard. But, <laughs> yeah, fun. it was all... That's the only yeah, benchmark the good GM. There you go.
2: That's the only benchmark um, of the good GM.
1: And as someone who has, you know, contributed to the problem, like half of Data Fortress is just giant gear catalogs that I wrote. Uh, because anytime I saw a cool piece of tech in a comic book or a movie, I was like, "Well, okay, I gotta grab a picture of that and write up stats for it."
0: Well, uh, it, it, so I'm I'm
1: part of the problem.
0: It, it all depends on the campaign you're running, right? So currently, I'm well, running. That's Right, so currently I'm running a a High Rider campaign, right, in space. (laughs) Guess what? I don't believe anyone has fired a gun yet. And I'm already 20 sessions in. So, yeah. (laughs) There's been some fistfights, not a lot, but it's mostly been role-playing, planning, because what what, what the campaign is is basically the revolt on O'Neill 2, um... During the fourth corporate war, right, the seven-hour, the seven-hour war that liberates O'Neill too. So I'm, I'm building sure. up to that event, right? Um, so it's a lot of subterfuge, uh, finding out how the different factions on the station work, and trying to a bring the the high rider factions together because each one of them have their own ideas of things, and then you also have the ESA, who's also the true bad guys that, you know, you want to have all these factions agree with and try to overthrow. So it's been that kind of role playing experience versus, you know, me running a campaign for a a strike team that is seeing combat on a consistent basis um, and is going to have more more gunplay per session than than this particular one. So I think it all depends on the level of, of of the campaign in which there's more combat versus there's not. And I think cyberpunk allows you to do a lot more role-playing instead of trying to come or, or finding a solution only through violence, right? Um, right.
1: Yeah, plus, I mean, the dangers of the cyberpunk system, like just the inherent the inherent deadliness of it yep. lends itself to drama so much better than any system I've
0: ever played. Well, uh, Call of Cthulhu is, is a close second, if not a, a, a leading
1: one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Gerps is out there too, but like the, the point remains systems like that where, you know, your character can die from even like minor wounds they create a sense of drama that other games like Dungeons and Dragons just don't have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the yes. one thing I've seen with Dungeons and Dragons and games of that ilk is a lot of players just want to brute floor brute force themselves through the situation, um, which doesn't lend to trying to be creative and trying to solve the problem that you're addressed with. Uh, in a different manner. Yeah, I'm fine up until that
1: last hit point. Like that doesn't—that
3: doesn't yeah. not doesn't <laughs> exactly the
1: drama.
2: That's that's one of the things uh, that I like about RuneQuest is, you know, you're, you're not sitting here bonking each other with a, a boffer stick until one of you falls over, right? You're taking hits to your arms and chest, and uh, with and with every attack, there's the chance that he slips past your armor and kills you outright.
3: But yeah, you, I mean, the have effects.
2: So, which again is, you know, that's. It's an interesting. We saw this. I worked on uh, the Doomtown card game for a while. And uh, Doomtown, it's a horror Western themed card game. And new players would get into massive gunfights in the first turn and one of them would lose and so they say this game is bad i'm like no it's sort of like leading with your queen in chess you
1: know don't (laughs) do that right yeah you're just you're just working against yourself there buddy
2: exactly but you know you give them a western thing the first thing they think is shootouts and so they want to do a shootout right and it's just the nature of the beast but, you know, I mean, honestly, Doomtown is a really well-played game. I actually played a game that was, it was only a two-turn game, but it took 45 minutes of move and counter-move. And uh, one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, I can't even remember if I won or lost. I just enjoyed playing it so much. It's, it was very considered as opposed to the, you know, bah, slap leather, draw gun, shoot, right? Um, but I think that's one of the challenges for um, novice players. I think this has been largely addressed in in Red, but there's a lot of emphasis on guns and not enough on everything else. Yep. And I, I think that I think that has hampered my ability to game master. Um, because it's, for whatever reason, it's been hard for me to get out of that mindset.
0: Um, well, it's easy, right? To just, okay, I'm going to throw a bunch of monsters. Here are their hit points. Here's their exact thing. It's all numbered and, and just rolling dice as opposed to yeah. coming up it's, with... It's a
2: dungeon crawl in an alley. No, wait, we
0: can't yeah. do that. <laughs> Versus coming up with a puzzle that's challenging um, and yeah. how the players can approach it. Um because oftentimes players, players can get into a rut where they're like, I, I just don't know what, what to do, right? And, and as a GM, you have some frustration with that because you're like, I, I thought I was presenting this as in a very clear-cut way for, your, for you guys to, to be able to understand how, how to, you know, what are the options you have in front of you to, to tackle this challenge? um yeah and, and see that's
2: that that is one of the difficult balancing points you know I, I have had situations where it's like you know, this is a puzzle and if they don't get it they just don't get it yeah. um which is why to me that's one of the things that I, I've tried to do in in games is it's not it is neither a physical puzzle nor an intellectual puzzle or a physical gauntlet i should say or an intellectual puzzle but more of a social yeah sort of thing
1: right um i mean every group you was know different and you, you you definitely have to gauge your group before you start trying to implement that stuff if that makes that any is sense because yep. uh, some people are going to be better at doing the physical stuff uh on paper and some people are going to be better at figuring out like intellectual puzzles. And some people are really highly social. Uh, and some groups may just not have any of that at all. Hmm. I yeah. think my change t- the, the, the biggest change in my style of GMing, especially for cyberpunk is uh, when I stopped trying to just, okay, make up whatever character you want. I'll figure a scenario to fit them all in. Like, that's just a headache in the making. Now, the campaigns I tend to run are are structured in a way that the characters start out working together. They have yeah. a unified goal. They're, they're part of a nomad group traveling across the country, or they're part of a military group uh, fighting a war, or they're part of like an espionage team doing James Bond right. shit all over the place, or yeah. cops, they got that or social,
2: they got that social tie that binds them together.
1: Yeah, private detectives. There's a theme that I can then fit the character. Like they can create characters that will fit into that game. Right. Because trying to trying to finagle a rocker boy, a corporate, a cop, and a solo to all work together. Yeah. Just. It hurts, because yeah. the cop's got a regular job he's got to go
0: to. Yep. Well, again, like no, I, I think you mentioned it with, with the, the game you're running, and how our group has been kind of avoiding the combat. Because we know, <laughs> well, yeah. I know, at least from my point of view, whenever I play a cyberpunk character, I try to avoid combat as much as possible, and find the different solutions, as opposed to just brute forcing it because i know how deadly the game is and i don't care how much sp i have and i think that was one of the complaints of of cyberpunk 2020 is the the power creep that you can have when it comes to sp as a gm i always had something that i don't care if you're like you have an sp of 40 i will get get way in which i can defeat you and you will have no way of, of preventing me from from stopping me defeating you in, in one way or another, whether it's through... E- Are you sure you're not a paranoia game master there? <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is I, I always had a the humor. The humor element was always a, a little hard for me to be sadistic and funny at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> It
1: just—I uh, think there, it, it, it previous games that people play also also create that difficulty. Yeah. Like if your first game is Cyberpunk, if that's the first game you play, uh, I've noticed that for people who get introduced to role playing through Cyberpunk, they're they're much more open to problem solving that doesn't involve violence. Yeah. Whereas if you're a D and D player, like I said, you're you're good to go until that last hit point drops, and once you reach a certain level, there's nothing in the there's nothing in the game that can one shot you anymore. So, right. Uh, that that trying to get people from other games into Cyberpunk and get them past that hurdle that that is that is a college course in itself.
2: So. There is was actually uh, when I was. Uh, by the way, I'm just curious, guys. Which edition of D and D
0: did I start which on? Was your favorite?
2: Uh, just no, your personal favorite. Ooh. If you could play one edition of D and D, or let me rephrase it, if you had to, which would it be? That's a tough
1: choice. I'm I, honestly. I'm going to say 5e but only because D&D Beyond means I don't have to look through a bunch of books and do a
3: bunch <laughs> of research See, for me. It makes everything me, it's easier so edition.
1: I can just play the 4th edition, really? 4th edition. I am such
2: a fan of 4th edition. Um I I don't but... think I've ever heard anybody express
1: that opinion before. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, what can I say? I am mentally deficient in many ways. Um, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to do, and again, uh, unfortunately, the, the game group I was with broke up right before this could happen. It is possible in 4th edition, if you do a certain cleric build, that you can never cause a hit point of damage. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to be a character who came down to make sure that the players... Uh, lived up to their destiny, but I could not directly interfere. Right, so I wanted to go from first through through twentieth or thirtieth, whatever it was, thirtieth, without ever drawing a single drop of blood. That was a goal. Hmm. I thought that would be a really cool thing to try and just sit there that, and buff would... and debuff and you know heal and light and darkness and whatever it takes but never hurt anybody
0: yeah one of our uh audience likes to uh, thank you ed for rach um uh, and he says that oh, freelancing much, sounds like it was harsh
2: i'm in a much better psychological place so probably dave was right <laughs> <laughs> that the therapy has worked
0: yeah for for me in dungeon and dragons um 5e is good uh First edition is probably my long-lost love because that was the edition that I played for at least a decade. Second edition is a close second because of how long I played with it. Third edition was mind-blowing in the in the shift of the mechanics of it, and then it just got into this weird power creep versus first and second, which I felt had more role-playing aspects versus third, which started turning into a very game-mechanic system. Um, i never played fourth, uh, just because of, you know, the time. I think I was a big World of Warcraft player then, so I didn't have any time, and I didn't have any players who played fourth, (laughs) so I really never got exposed to it. Um, But I got into fifth, and I thought fifth had some good mechanics um, that kind of uh, evolved the system in a way. Uh, but, yeah, I would say, you know, just I just mean, the fun games I had with first and second edition uh, and just the craziness. We just bent those rules. Time to I tried, that time. The first time I tried
1: playing Dungeons & Dragons, it was with BASIC. Uh, and I didn't enjoy it, mostly because I was, like, my, my fantasy... I was coming from from Conan and films like Excalibur uh not so much Tolkien at the time and the endless hit points bugged me the 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 lack of freedom in character creation bugged me like I couldn't create the character I wanted to create everything was bits and pieces but there really was no uh, way to multi-class back then. Right, right.
3: And uh, I had
1: a Vindictive GM, and that just kind of soured me on everything. Uh, I didn't play role-playing games uh, again uh, for about eight years, and then I, a college friend, uh, a friend of mine who was in college, invited me down to the Kansas City Art Institute to play cyberpunk and you know that got me hooked. I didn't play. It was uh, another couple of years before I tried dungeons and dragons again. And that was second edition. And I never, I never cared for the rules. Um, I was, I don't know. I I just never cared for the rules until, until third edition, third edition, the rules finally made a little bit more sense to me. Uh, And then it just became a glut of crap. Mm. Uh, I, I, I played I played third edition. I played 3.5. I enjoyed it. But I got really sick of having to go through like eight different books to create a character. Yeah. Um,
0: and then the whole open so source when, that hit.
1: Yeah. Uh, with fourth edition, it really seemed like it eliminated... Everything outside of combat, like all the spells, were geared towards combat. You couldn't just fly around the the place anymore. You couldn't. I, I don't know. It just wasn't for me. Right. Uh, and then fifth edition, like I said, I I probably wouldn't enjoy it if it as much as I do if it weren't for D and D Beyond, which just does all the work
2: for me. And I, yeah, I, I will admit that is a very useful tool.
0: Yeah, like well, well. I know we're having a great conversation. Um, however, we are two minutes away from time. Um, if you want, oh, Ed, shit. yeah, <laughs> <It's> amazing <laughs> how two hours go by. Um, all, so. <laughs> yeah, um, so Ed, if you want to stick around on the channel, um, while we wrap up the show and still chat with us a little more, that's fine. Um, however two hours we're trying to cap off on this. So first off, I'd like to say thank you and appreciate you taking the time out, Um, hanging out with us.
2: Thank you for asking
3: me.
0: Yeah, us grognars are are ecstatic that, you know, a lot of you guys are are still around and and still still kind of touching base with Cyberpunk again. And just to hear some of the insights from, from the old days and just seeing where some of these ideas came from, Um, especially Rach being, you know, being a very key character now in the lore um, and understanding where, where he came from as it were.
3: We're
1: as interested in the lore of the creators themselves as we are in the lore (laughs) of the game. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Ed. Uh, We've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while.
0: Yep absolutely sorry about the delays
1: no you're you're just fine
0: perfect timing as it were all right so um i'd like to thank everyone who uh, attended now and those who are going to be listening into the future um i am cybersmiley i have a site called cybersmiley.net where i have a bunch of uh cyberpunk red and cyberpunk 2020 utilities to help you manage your games um I haven't done, I've said this for the past few episodes, I haven't done a lot lately. Um, I'm still trying to get the, get it together and and actually start implementing a couple more things. I have ideas. I just need to uh, put pen to paper, as it were. Um, So you can check me out there. Uh, I have my own Discord as well as I'm on a ton of various Discord servers for Cyberpunk. Uh, So if you do hash or at cybersmiley you're probably going to get me i also lurk about the uh two or three cyberpunk or reddit threads so i'm also there uh checking out what people say um yeah and then of course the show here
1: i am wisdom triple zero otherwise known as derek bernier uh i want to thank everybody for joining you can visit me at my site, Data Fortress Twenty Twenty, where I've written source books, gear catalogs, rules, all sorts of stuff. Plus, I've got an archive of pretty much all the stuff that was out there that is has died off in the over the years. Um, I am on Facebook uh, at the at at the Cyberpunk Uncensored channel, uh, the Data Fortress Twenty Twenty group and the cyberpunk 2020 group i'm on discord uh where i'm active kind of in the various cyberpunk discord channels uh more often at at smiley's site than any other Uh, i'm on reddit at the various cyberpunk uh, channels and uh feel free to reach out at any of these places to get a hold of me or will Yep. Uh, we love to hear your comments suggestions complaints and criticisms um, heck we, we just love to hear from you Yep. Uh, if you have any ideas for future shows or any questions you'd like to ask by all means send them our way uh, we'd like to thank Mr. Ed Bolme, uh one more time um, thank you Ed you're welcome on the show anytime Please come back and visit us. Yep. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys very soon.
0: Yeah. And we also like to thank uh, Rob Mulligan and CyberNation Nation Uncensored oh, for hosting oh. us. Um, check out his uh, Discord as well as the web- website at cybernationuncensored.com. Uh, and we will be back in about two weeks. So uh, until then, I think. Oh,
1: and. Yeah, and you can also catch our old shows at the uh, Cybernation Uncensored YouTube channel under the uh, Tales from the Forlorn Dopes playlist,
0: as well as on uh, Cybernation Uncensored's podcast channels. So, cool. Let's forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Till next time. Bye.